HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Hello, In the Sauce listeners. The following episode was recorded at a live panel hosted by Whole Foods on Women Makers on February 27th, 2020. On the panel was Maria Loy, Homa Dashtaki from White Mustache, Essie Bartels from Essie Spice, Puka Bavishi from Malai Ice Cream, and Janie Deegan from Janie Bakes. It was a great panel focused on how women start businesses, how they run businesses, how they find funding. I hope you find the episode interesting, and I hope you're all safe and healthy and hunkered down. So I'm going to let each panelist introduce herself. Um, if we did the whole story, we would use up the entire hour. So basically just like who you are, what your product is, and um, when you started selling at Whole Foods, and if you have a goal for 2020, it would be great. Yasas, that means hello in Greek. So you understood that I'm Greek, okay? <laughs> I came here like, my name is Maria Loy. I came to the States eight years ago. And I said that I will change the world with one Greek healthy bite at a time. So, and uh, we have built, me and my team, uh, four lines. We have the loy pasta, the loy meli, uh, loy lavi, that's olive oil, and the loy dips. And uh, of course we started with Whole Foods, where in many other uh, stores, I don't want to tell you the names here because I love Whole Foods. Thank you. My name is Pooja. I'm the founder and CEO of Malai Ice Cream. Um, I make um, kind of Indian-infused, Indian-flavored, um, Indian-inspired ice creams. Um, I started at Whole Foods at 2017, um, and my goal for 2020 is really for you to see Malai everywhere, um, but really nationwide distribution. Hi, I'm Janie. I'm the founder and owner of Janie's Life-Changing Baked Goods, and I invented a cookie called the Pie Crust Cookie. I'm launching in Whole Foods at the end of April in their brand new Manhattan West store. And I'm super excited about that. And my goal for uh, 2020, I started the business in 2015 and it was a hobby. And my goal for 2020 is really to uh, get this product. It's been direct to consumer for the past four years and it's really to get this product nationwide as a retail ready, delicious cookie. 
Hi, my name is Essie Bartels. I am the owner and founder of Essie Spice. I make amazing sauces uh, inspired by West African cuisine and spices. We started in Whole Foods in late 2016. We're in 10 stores, soon to be in the region. And uh, that, that's my, uh, my goal for this year. I'm taking it step by step. Um, hi, my name is Homa. I am from White Mustache Yogurt. We make Iranian-style yogurt and savory yogurt. Um, we started here at Whole Foods in 2014. Um, we only produce for Brooklyn and Manhattan. My goal in 2020 is to keep making it for my friends in Brooklyn and Manhattan <laughs> and to stay small and to focus on our byproduct, which is the whey drinks and popsicles. You know, when you have a panel of six people who have all incredible products from all different places, as I said, each panelist could be an entire panel discussion. So I thought I would try to frame the discussion a little bit, and I did a little research on female entrepreneurship. And since this is about women makers, um, it was kind of interesting to learn that whether you're in um, Pakistan or Sweden or LA, the themes that sort of trend through female entrepreneurship, sort of different than male entrepreneurship, tend to be sort of the same. Uh, we are no different. And I think it's kind of you know, interesting to sort of frame the discussion with a couple of those themes and you will probably find them familiar. Um, the first one is that when women start businesses, the business tends to find the woman versus the woman finding the business. So women don't look for a white space in the market. You know, women have a hobby or women have a need or they see something that other people don't see and they decide to go make it themselves. Um, that's pretty straight across gender lines. Not to say that there aren't, you know, crossovers. Um, but I think, Essie, you're a really good example of that because when I was reading about you, you made it very clear you had no intention of being a food entrepreneur. This wasn't something that you saw, wasn't something you aspired to. So can you tell us a little bit about how that did come to be and how you kind of shifted into entrepreneurship? So I had been cooking since I was six um, with my mom and my grandma. So cooking was, uh, I would say, a third muscle. It's something that I've always done. But growing up in Ghana, the food industry was never something anybody aspired to. Now it's changing. But when I was growing up, nobody would say, oh, I want to grow up to be a chef or I want to grow up to be own a restaurant or have a food business or make pies or whatever, right? So it was never something that I could even see myself in. And, you know, as a child, you need to see other people aspiring to things so you can see yourself in that. And so for me, I wanted to study international business. I wanted to work in corporate and global companies, and that's exactly what I did. I lived in France. I lived in South Africa. I worked with all these global companies traveling all over the world and SE Spice found me after I left my job, went for a second job, which was paying more, but it was the worst job ever. And uh, uh, when I lost that job, I gave myself six months um, of dedicating you know, that six months specifically just to SE Spice and not to 
working at another corporate company. And in those six months, I got on Time Magazine. I got on, um, I got into Whole Foods. I was everywhere. And it, none of that happened in the three years that I had been working um, full time and doing SE Spice on the side because I literally left it for six months and went to work in South Africa. You know, so, you know, sometimes you need that little push to get you over the hump. And that's, that's the, that was the switch. Speaking of little pushes, or maybe like getting thrown off of a cliff into an abyss, <laughs> um, Homa, <laughs> when we talked about your, uh, your experience, you were an attorney, you got laid off, Mm-hmm. And your father at the same time had, you know, he lost his brother. And the two of you basically started making yogurt together, you know, I think in a way to heal, in a way to fill time, in a way to bond. Right. But tell us about how yogurt found you. Yeah, it did find us. And, um, you know, and it's interesting that I did it with my dad because at the time I was like unemployed. 35 living at home with my parents and they were annoying me so much (laughs) and I was like I can't stand you daddy Um, and what are we going to do and so we went to farmers markets to make yogurt and you're absolutely right when you say like products find you I had no intention of starting a business I just had an intention of surviving the next month and trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life and it was like for the first time it was almost like without thinking, this thing organically found me, and I like found this passion to do something, and I couldn't quit if I tried to. And there's so many moments and so many hurdles you come across that you're like, I really want to quit, and then you remember how much you love this. And yeah. and there's been a few times like when we were back in California, we got shut down, and I was like threatened with a ten thousand dollar fine, and prison time because dairy laws in California are very strict and I remember just being totally distraught that like I couldn't do this anymore and I like went to absurd extents to like fight the law and figure out how to get back into business but it was like the first time I felt empowered to like really claw my way towards my own destiny basically. And Janie? Um, your story is pretty amazing too, because baking for you, from what I understand, was kind of your salvation during a really crappy time in your life. Um, and then it turned into something that became your life. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So I, I always loved baking as a kid. It was I grew up in a household full of artists, and we were allowed to, you know, sort of my brother and I could just go wild in the kitchen and um, baked my way through college. It was a great way of meeting guys and, and making friends. And um, in my early 20s, I found myself homeless and penniless due to addiction. I had no bank account, no, um, no you know, credit cards, no ID, no social security card, just like had nothing, wasn't, wasn't like a human on the radar at all. And, um, and really like was a shell of a human and I managed to get sober and you know found a place to live and um, knew that if I was gonna you know stay alive that I had to find passion in life and uh, baking was a really like it was it was natural I picked it right back up I was living in the East Village with like a shower in my kitchen and no counter space and I would bring baked goods everywhere I went and it just sort of filled me with this sort of like self-love and self-esteem 
and just sense of like overall self that I had never even as a child felt. And so many years, not many years later, but a couple of years later, I was, you know, working as a nanny and really I had no practical job experience. I had no, you know, way to build a resume. I was about 28 and, and just felt like I really had, my only experience was like not being homeless anymore and you can't go into a job interview with that. And, um, and I, that's, you know, baking did, I, I like, you put it so nicely because baking really did choose me. I had no intention of, I thought, who am I? I didn't go to culinary school. What, I looked up the word entrepreneur. Um, like, I just had no concept of what it was like to own a business. And um, nonetheless, you know, I, I started a business and, and worked part-time at it for a couple of years. It was a hobby. And then realized, sort of like Essie, if I was going to do this, like it was, I, I was going to have to go all in and I was going to have to jump off that cliff. And yeah. thankfully, two years later, like I still am, I'm caught and, um, and, you know, I wake up every day knowing that like through all the hardship and as hard as it is to be an entrepreneur, that I'm waking up every day to work just for myself, to build something for myself. Yeah. Kind of amazing. Um, I mean, I'm like a little humbled, but um, Pooja... I want to talk to you a little bit about something you said to me on the podcast, which was, you know, this sort of like, yes, you dive in and, um, and you give it your all, but you have to do, you know, some step-by-step step and you have to sort of do pilots along the way. Women, as it turns out, research shows, um, are a little bit more thoughtful about those step-by-steps that we give ourselves sort of um, almost picture running a marathon and you know you're running and you know you have 27 miles but you're like if I can get to that lamppost if I can get to that next lamppost um, so you were really big on sort of like I'm going to give myself the time to do this I'm going to stop my day job and I'm going to like dig in but I'm going to make a proof of concept so talk a little bit about that because I think the combination of like I'm going to just give it my all and this is going to be my life now with a little bit of like boundaries of like how am I going to know when I am actually succeeding is kind of the perfect combination. Yeah, so I um, I thought of Malai when I was still in business school. So I kind of had this like built-in focus group when um, when I was like kind of experimenting with flavors and kind of figuring out how to make ice cream. Um, so I graduated um, in May of 2015, and I sold my first scoop um, two weeks later. And um, for like, I, I think that New York is just such a special place that if you do want to start your own food business, there's so many resources and opportunities to do that um, without putting a lot of money into it. You can do it very, very leanly. And so um, I was just selling once a week at Hester Street Fair, and every single week I would I had like literally a commercial, like quart ice cream maker, and um, I would test a new flavor. Like I was convinced, for example, that. Um, the New Yorkers were just not ready for rose-flavored ice cream, but I was really wrong, and um, <laughs> and I like would be able to test that, and I would even have like surveys and questionnaires at my table at Hester Street Fair, so like I would get some feedback on not only the flavors and the combinations, but I would also get feedback on pricing and scoop sizes and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, that's a like, very like business school part of me, um, and um, but like I was that gave that built the confidence in me to actually 
put a little bit more money into it, put a little bit more effort into this that like actually take it further. Um, and so by the end of that summer, so I was giving away product for free and I was testing and all of that. And by the end of that summer, we actually received our first press, which happened to be in the New York Times because a New York Times writer happened to be walking by our booth at Hester Street Fair. So it was like super serendipitous and something that like I feel like only happens in New York City. Um, but like that, like it was really still in our proof of concept phase, which actually launched us into being an actual small business. Um. Another theme you will hear across uh, not only this panel, but just in general, is money. Surprise. Uh, women tend to use cash. Women tend to use their savings. Women tend to be uncomfortable asking for cash. Women tend not to raise equity as early as men do. Um, this is not just in the United States. This is across the globe. Um, Maria. You were one of those amazing stories. One of the things about Whole Foods um, is that they will go to restaurants or they'll go to um, fairs and uh, food courts and they'll just fall in love with a product and then they'll want to make it into a Whole Foods product. So you, from what I understand, were kind of found um, by Whole Foods. And you know that's amazing and it's, it's exciting but then they're not giving you the cash to come up with your CPG line, presumably. So my question to you is, how did you go from having these restaurants um, from your past career into financing a line of sauces and the pastas and the olive oils? And how did you think about sort of the money part of all of it? Well, being a farm girl, that's how I started actually. You know, um, I was in my village in Thermo in Greece. So I grew up making these products. You know, like, um, and I was the chef in the house because I came from a very poor family. So we were like five kids. Uh, so my mother, my father, and they had to go out and work in, in the fields. So I had to do something. So that's how I have learned how to make the best yogurt. So Homa, you have to be careful in six months. <laughs> and I have to tell you that the only yogurt that I like over there, it's yours. <laughs> and believe me, I'm very difficult. Jonathan knows that, right, Jonathan? You make very good hummus, though. You should be at the Whole Foods. See? <laughs> so anyway, uh, then I, I became a lobbyist. I had ITT, Sheraton, Texaco, telecommunication companies, all of that. I made a ton of money. I was like a jet setter everywhere, like a, like a Christmas tree lady with the diamonds and that. I got everything out in five minutes when I read the poem of Cavafis. So I got rid of all of this. And uh, I built homes for children with that money, okay? So I didn't have money. Literally, you know, when I came to New York. But um, I loved food. And I, I started my own cooking show in uh, Europe. I was very successful. And um, I came here by accident in New York. And like you said, in New York, <coughs> Frank Sinatra said it. If I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. You know, like we didn't find out anything different. So um, I went to advise a friend of mine to get my previous restaurant. And uh, I said, I love it here, you know? And I said, I'm going to get the restaurant. 
Everybody thought that I was crazy. I was the number one chef in Greece, uh, the, the ambassador for the chef's club, all of that, everyone. So I said, no, I'm going to make it. So Whole Foods found me like in that restaurant. And they loved my pasta. They loved whatever I was doing. And um, it was not very easy, but it was kind of easy because I had the restaurant, you know, like um, kind of funding me behind that. And, uh, but in the meantime, I was building a great team. That's how I came here today, and I'm here. Without a great team, you cannot do anything, believe me. That's my opinion, at least. Totally true. <laughs> so, I, you know, it's funny because I had a similar experience. I used Haven's Kitchen's profits to fund the first couple of years of the sauces. Um, but I was fortunate enough to be able to self-fund Haven's Kitchen in the first place, which is unusual and for which I am very, very grateful. Um, but when we did do, when we were starting to make the sauces and we realized it was going to be sort of inexpensive and a, and a big undertaking, we actually started making them in, a, in an incubator kitchen called Hot Bread Kitchen. Um, we moved out of there pretty quickly. Um, just because we needed to, fortunately. Um, but Janie, I know that, um, are you still making the, yeah, yeah, so you're still at the incubator. So can you tell us a little bit about Hot Bread Kitchen and how they've helped you and what they've done? Because I think it's a pretty incredible organization and sure. it sounds like it's been good for you. Yeah, so Hot Bread Kitchen has a table here tonight. So they do many other amazing things besides uh, run a kitchen incubator. And there are tables right next to mine over there. So if you have questions about that, go over and ask. Um, but I found Hot Bread Kitchen. I, I had started the business at the end of 2015 and run it as a hobby for most of 2016. And then in early 2017, I realized that like I knew nothing about, like I didn't know what a food handler's license was. And I didn't know what, just all these, I didn't know what an LLC was. I didn't know anything about the fundamentals of starting or running a business, especially a food business, which is so, you know, so regulated and, you know, so important that we follow these regulations. And so I found Hot Bread Kitchen at the time had a, a class called, I think it was called Business Boot Camp. And I applied for the course and got in, and it was really inexpensive. And it basically, we I hadn't been in school in, you know, five or six years. And every, it was like six hours a week, and so it was pretty intense. And I would, would go two nights a week after my job and, and would learn what an LLC was and learn what, you know, what sort of, who who was in charge of, of health in New York City and, you know, just all these things and, and that I had to open a business bank account and these things that I had no idea about. And then a year later when I was ready to, when I, when I really was able to apply these fundamentals and it was clear that the business was going to take off and I was still cooking at my home kitchen and, you know, just like my oven with its two racks didn't have enough space for the right. thousands of cookies that I was making every month, um, I applied to Hot Bread Kitchen's Culinary Incubator and got in, and what they do is they provide um, sort of below market rent so that I can run. I, I didn't have the money to buy or maintain the big machinery I needed, and I didn't know how to use that machinery, and I didn't have the money to pay for, you know, we're in Manhattan, I didn't have the money to pay for a lease for the space that I would need, and so they let their um, businesses rent space hourly and use this 
as part of that hourly rate, use you know the big ovens and use the big Hobart mixers and teach them how to do it. And I was able to, um, they also provide, I think the most valuable resource for me about working at a hot bread kitchen was the mentorship and just like business. They're really, they have their own line of retail products that they've grown, that they sell at Whole Foods and they really know just the fundamentals of building a consumer packaged good. And I, you know, I was selling cookies at street fairs and, you know, to, to people, um, you know, who would order. And I didn't know, I didn't know how to do any of this. And so I would come to them with a question like, you know, how do I, what do I need on my packaging or um, how do I use that mixer or, you know, who do I need to call to, get this and that and they really like step by step have held my hand through all these processes and I've been with them two years and it's take, taken me two years of running a full-time business to actually be able to develop and release a product that's how complicated it is and they were with me every step of the way and even today you know I'm about to release this product in grocery stores and even today I'm emailing their head of operations all day long being like what you know how do I explain my lot codes and how do mm -hmm. I explain just like constantly you know and they're you know, have some really big things going on and they're still emailing me back, you know, within the hour, holding my hand through these things awesome. that are like an emergency to me, but to yeah. them it's just second nature. Just as a show of hands, how many people in the audience are here because they actually have a product that they want to get off the ground or they're thinking about it? Okay, so then this is, this is really relevant stuff. So then let's talk a little bit about money um, because it's, Another thing that women generally tend to talk about less, uh, it makes us uncomfortable. Um, we have weird feelings around it. But does anyone want to talk a little bit about either something they feel would be helpful for these guys starting out to know or to learn? Um, my main piece of advice is that there's, when you actually make a budget, you, I don't think, I think it's 100% of the time you assume your sales are going to be higher and your costs are going to be lower. It's just sort of like the optimistic human nature, I think. And even when we think we're being conservative, we're not. So, you know, I think there's some rule like 90% of businesses fail because they, they raise enough money to get off the ground, but they don't raise enough money for working capital for the amount of time that they need until they actually either get profitable or can get some equity financing. You're not going to get a small business loan for starting a small business unless you have your own sort of, you know, equity to back it up, um, unless you have equipment that you've invested in. So if you are getting off the ground and you can't self-fund it and you don't have friends that can help you fund it and you need money, um, you're going to basically have to ask friends and family, unless you guys have any other words of wisdom. Friends and family. <laughs> Homa. I did it a little differently, um, and I think I have a different product, and also I had different ambitions when I started out. Um, I just wanted to prove a point that like the dairy we were making were safe and there was an industry for it. And New York is a really amazing spot because it does allow you to start lean. And we self-funded, but when I say self-funded, I started out making eight gallons of yogurt a week at Salvatore Brooklyn Ricotta's kitchen. And I, like my big like break was finding space to share with her. 
And then I made very, very small batches and I bought all of my packaging online. Like I paid basically retail for it. And I got into four stores initially in Manhattan, Salvatore, uh, um, Saxelby's Cheese, Calustian's, Gastronomy 491, which is now closed, and Brooklyn Larder. And it was like, just keep those four stores going. And I kept those four stores going. And then I added a fifth store. And everything ended up paying for the next step. Right. And I didn't start out with a lot of funding. I didn't start out with a lot of money. I literally just paid for the next step. And I was okay with only being in four stores. And then four stores led to five. And I remember when Whole Foods came to me, um, at Smorgasburg and was like, we would like to carry you. I was like, oh shit, how's this gonna happen? <laughs> but like, I basically was like, can you wait? Can you wait six months for me to build up the capital I need to get there? And I didn't even, because I, I, I was like so risk averse about every step, but that turned out to be like a strength for me because I didn't assume that we would get into Whole Foods and sell a ton. I was like, I'm gonna get into Whole Foods and I'll probably fail, so I should have like a backup and a backup. And because I didn't have like an, any sort of net to catch me or I was a coward about getting equity funding or going out and finding money, I kind of like, kind of cobbled my way together very, very slowly, but it turned out like being very strong for me. So I would say like, don't, don't get bogged. I don't have a business plan. I've never had one. I never like, put together a budget. I like fake it sometimes when people ask me about numbers, but like, I think like if something makes sense to you, like really trust your intuition and you can end up disrupting a piece of the market that like doesn't even see it coming. So. I do want to add one thing to that. That is if each jar of your thing or each bag of your thing is in and itself profitable, right? I mean, right. the margin I mean, I, on your I product. I was charging so much right. per jar. So if, right, so that's yeah. the thing. If, you, if you're charging more for the product that you're making, then every product is going to bring in cash. If you're making something that costs more, and this is not unusual, um, we're getting there. If you, if you make a product um, that is more expensive, the, you know, once you add in the team and the packaging and the marketing for it, and you're losing money on every, on every pouch or jar or bag, then sales doesn't cure that. You're just going to be losing more money. So it obviously depends on the product that you're making. Um, anyone? I think, Maria, did you want to talk about money? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's not bad to, to have a business plan. Actually, it's very good. And it took me where we are now. Uh, we started with a very good business plan because of my previous life, of course. Uh, that helped me a lot. Um, and then uh, we did, made, and we said uh, how much we have to spend for... Uh, the jars, how much we have to spend for that. We had a big obstacle when we started. You know, the very first, uh, the, the, actually the last week that uh, we had everything ready, you know, like we did uh, all the research, uh, where, how we do it, and the co-packer back up. So, and we had to open, you know, like Whole Foods, you know, on our bag, like, and they say, no, you have to do it. So we didn't sleep. Like for three weeks, we were sleeping like three, four hours, 
which is bad, I'm telling you, because now I'm dealing all with, um, I'm, I work with the uh, School of Public Health at Harvard University, and I know how bad it is not to sleep, don't do it, okay? But I had to. So, um, yes, we have to check what kind of money we need. And if we need something more, you know, don't be afraid to ask people. They will give it to you if they will see you, that you believe in yourself, you believe in your product, and take it out there. Don't be afraid, go and do demos. You know, like the best thing, just put it in front of people. And if it's good, because you have to do good things, otherwise don't do it, okay? <laughs> and uh, it, will, it will go ahead, I believe in that. Um, You're I, nodding your head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I, I agree with actually with both because right. I'm a little bit in the middle of having a business plan, but also taking things one step at a time. Um, I cashed out my 401k. I put in all my savings. Um, I see all my friends like buying homes and you know buying all these cars. I gave up all of it. I gave up. <clears throat> The, the travels, I still travel, but not as much as I could have. Um, I gave up, you know, the lavish life, everything went into SE Spice. So it's my savings, it's my, you have to, if it's either, it's either or, you can't eat your cake and have it. If you're, if you're going to self-fund, then you have to sacrifice. Um, I wish I had gotten some funding in the beginning um, and used some equity, uh, but, I think the good thing is that when I when I proved the concept, at least to my dad, I remember he called me one day. He said, "You know, in my 70 years of my life, I've never been on Time Magazine, and you have. So, yeah. oh. whatever money you need, whatever we need to to do to help you to get to that next level, we're going to do it." Um, and so that's um, for me. For the next step, will be raising money. Um, with friends and family, and then um, getting the equity up and then having uh, uh, outside investors. Yeah. So uh, if you can, do it you know, yourself, um, friends and family, build the company, build the, the sales, build the team, get it all together, and then get some money yep. from outside. Yeah. Um, guess what the next theme is? Do you think that women tend to be more or less self-critical than their male counterparts? Right. Um, we're all sort of like, I did it this way, sorry, you know. Um, we do tend to be more self-critical. The flip side of being more self-critical is that we also tend to be more collaborative and more team-oriented. Um, you know, every asset is a liability and every liability is an asset and there's a flip side, right? So let's talk a little bit about how you built your teams. Some of you are still you. Um, do you have any, yeah, did you, have you hired anyone yet? You have? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, Maria, I know you have a bigger team, um, but I just want to give a shout out to my team. Um, four of them are right here, and um, they have been like working night and day to get us ready for Expo West next week. So to come to this is really just like I feel a little verklempt. Um, and 
I, there is no way to do this business. You have to be a salesperson. You have to be an operations expert. You have to know food safety. You have to understand marketing. You have to understand brand. You have to understand distribution. Ugh. Um, and so you can't, you just can't be a one person show and have growth. Whole Foods Market is a purpose-driven company that aims to nourish people and the planet by seeking out the finest natural and organic foods available. Whole Foods Market supports small business growth and promotes local suppliers unlike any other brand. They've proudly incubated many well-known national brands that got their start at Whole Foods Market and grew with them, beginning in one store and expanding region-wide, then into multiple regions and in many cases nationwide. Whole Foods Market strives to help customers discover the flavor, variety, and innovative products found and made in their communities. And fall asleep just to wake up. So talk to me, guys, about how you think about building your teams, um, what you're looking for, any painful lessons you've learned, any inspiring lessons you've learned. Anyone want to start? Maria? Yes. Of course. You know. <laughs> well, as I said, you know, like eight years ago, I came to New York and um, I opened the restaurant from the very first day. And uh, I opened it with the wrong people, of course. And after three years, uh, they told me, like, uh, they have to double my rent or uh, to take 20% of my new businesses. I said, thanks, but no thanks. Goodbye. But in those years, I have made my team. And one I have to say to Dara Davenport, st stop taking photos. We have to see you, Dara. She's amazing. And I have to say thank you. She's been with me like since day one. And other people, she worked very hard. And actually she said that she doesn't work because she enjoys what she's doing. <laughs> yeah, uh, but she really did. You do, the, you do the same thing, I see that. I see it in your face. So, and uh, we have others as well. I uh, we have Galini. Uh, mostly we have women. What's that? Yeah. I don't know. You know how to hire. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys, we love you, but we have to stick together, you know. Uh, so, but what I've done, and I think it was a good thing, uh, I didn't say I know everything, okay? I, uh, you know, my team, knew actually what to do in the States. You know, Dara, she had studied like, uh, because you're here, that's why I always talk to you now. Uh, genetics, you know. So um, also she knew like the, the food industry, but on the other side, she was uh, an intern actually when she came to our restaurant and uh, she was afraid the first week and she says, I cannot do it. And I told her, like, I said, you can do it. And now I always, when she says, oh, you think that we can do that? I said, no. And she says, we can do it. <laughs> you know. So, and uh, now uh, they have shares in my company. And uh, believe me, we have, uh, like, many, many, many other companies that they came to acquire us. And... Uh, the, the lowest um, offer that we have, 
It's like 25 millions. And that's because of the team. That's all. Thank you again, Dara. <laughs> Anyone else? How did you hire? How did you think about hiring? How have you had to fire? I can talk about that. <laughs> you what? Yeah? Um, well, I, I think that there's, there's like a lot of goals that I have for Malai, but one of my personal goals is, is to create a work environment that people feel really supported and they love coming to work and to build a really cohesive team. That's actually really, really important to me. Um, I have a leadership coach. Like I, I go and visit her every single month and talk to her about team issues and how to improve the working environment. Um, but I think that like it, there's a very... There's a very specific fit when it comes to small food businesses is the thing that like they're like it does take someone who is as in, is as invested as you are but yeah. actually does not have ownership and so it's it's difficult to get that fit and then once you do it's perfection yeah. um, but it's it's really really easy to have more misses than not and it's not like it's not anyone's fault it's just really just about a fit issue um, I hired way too quickly last year because I was in a very desperate position yeah. and I paid for it and the company paid for it um, and so like I, I'm very very slow and thoughtful about my hiring decisions now and um, I, I just like I love it when my team gets along and I love it when we're like we're all like really focused on the goals of the company um, because I think that it can be pretty rare I was going to say, um, that's one of the reasons why I don't have a solid team right now because it, the fit is very important. The person has to, especially like for, for, um, for her with Darla, they've been together long enough for her to be able to give her equity. Right. But you're not you wanting start to off that way. give equity to somebody who starts in three months. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, Finding that right fit, somebody who sees the vision, somebody who's there with you at 10 p.m. or somebody, you know, ready to sacrifice, um, it's really hard. And so I'm looking for an operations person and somebody in marketing. Ah. The, uh, only the best. <laughs> but, um, yes, I'm looking for those two positions now, now that we're, again, raising uh, money internally. Right. Uh, so we're looking to hire, but so far I've outsourced as much as I can, but again, as you said, if you want to grow, you can't do everything, and that's what I've been doing for now almost six years, and it's driving me nuts. Yeah, and so it's time. It's time. Homa, what about you? Yeah, I I, mean, I love this topic. I remember there was something you had said a while back on a different panel that said that we are so self-critical of ourselves, but like when we're working with someone and they make mistakes, we're like, oh, that's okay. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> and like we would never hold ourselves to that standard. And as far as team making goes, we are in a very interesting position because since 2013, I have only focused on production. Because we self-produce, everyone I've hired has just been like an Art, artist like are you a good yogurt maker are you a good jam maker are you like a good popsicle maker it's all been production focused and I have never and this is like you know the blessing and the curse of white mustache like it sells itself so we've never had to do marketing or we've never had to do sales and now that we're trying to 
educate folks on the whey and the probiotic tonics and like the food waste industry and the importance of dairy and how to like it ties into like socioeconomic issues it's like i need a team that's bigger than just production and my brain has never worked that way it's like all i've cared about is how to make really good yogurt and now you know we're in this very interesting place where i, I now need to hire a team and i just keep taking advice from I think it was another panel you had done where it was like <laughs> hire people who are better than you at things. And yeah. it's such a relief. It's like I am hiring you to help me with events because I don't want to call the shots. Like I don't want to call all the shots. Like I would love to be in a room where you're collaborating with someone who has an opinion, who will talk back to you, who has no filter. And I'm like kind of excited and terrified about that next step because like I would love to just be tinkering in the kitchen. But it's like mm. growing time and... Absolutely. It's so much fun when you can not have to think about something. <laughs> That's what I tell my team all the time. Like I, It's so much fun when my brain doesn't have to have that window open, you know? Um, and it's about trust, ultimately, right? Like They have to trust you that the time will come, that they will be rewarded for being with you. Um, and you have to trust them that you know your baby is safe with them. Um, so let's talk about that little critical voice, right? So the voice in the head that says, who do you think you are? You're not an entrepreneur. You're, you know, you don't really belong in this, you know, field. Why do you think you can do that? Um, who do you listen to? How do, A, have you figured out a way to turn the voice off yourself? Do you have a mentor? Do you have friends? Who do you go to? It's a lonely place when you're going through that in your head. Um, who do you listen to? Janie, who do you, what do you do? Yeah, so I mean, I, I have a, an interesting story, right? And it, it, in the past, has been very shameful for me to share that story. And about two years ago, I realized that um, it was going to be an asset to my business to share that story. Yeah. And I got such amazing feedback, and it made customers really feel like they were connecting with me. And so I've, I've had this interesting position of having like the luxury, as being a small business, I've gotten to connect with my customers so much in the past two years. And so, um, you know, I am, my parents used to say that they didn't have to punish me because I would punish myself. Yeah. And, um, and that is still true. And, and when I did start this business, it was like, who do you think you are yeah. to, to do this? I still have that. Just right. FYI. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, um, I like, I, I sort of like live by this almost mantra that am I not doing something because it scares me? And if that's the reason I'm not doing it, then I better do it. So right. that's led me to so many amazing opportunities, like being terrified, but doing it anyway. And um, I guess that like my, when I can't validate myself, my validation really does come from customers and, and just them feeling like so excited that they get to be part of my business and yeah. they, you know, they, they feel that they're contributing to something. Um, and so like, I'm, you know, my life every day is like filled with things that terrify me. Um, but it's like customers and honestly fellow entrepreneurs. I was just talking to Pooja before this about, you know, about this, like I'm working with a distributor and margins and all these crazy things. Yeah. And yeah. I, I was like, you know, asked her a question and she's like, no, that's great. And so it's, it's really like, yeah. it's the customers and just my fellow female entrepreneurs yeah. that really validate everything I do. So 
hopefully the podcast too. Like I try to answer a lot of that stuff because we're all just trying to figure stuff out and yeah. no one actually knows what the hell they're doing. And if they say they do, then they're either not very good at it or they're lying. But Essie, you were nodding your head again. So tell me about your little voice in your head. Well, for me, um, as I said, so when I started late 2013, beginning of 2014, um, prior to that, I would put my food um, recipes on uh, Facebook. And that's how, this was when everything was very organic, right? People would mm -hmm. like your stuff without you begging them to do it. People <laughs> would comment, they would, you know, respond, and there'll be a, a whole fight under your post. Um, so a lot of the people that then m moved on to like SE Spice were friends, friends of friends that had seen um, things I would cook and say, oh, where's the restaurant? I'm like, no, this is my dinner. Um, and then, you know, they organically moved to SE Spice. So um, before I got into Whole Foods, before I started um, brick and mortar, a lot of it was online. So that's all my customers. Um, and so they, again, just like her, uh, were the ones that would reaffirm would tell me to keep going. They were excited because when I started, there wasn't a lot of West African flavors on the market. There still isn't. Um, and so... Uh, it's coming. It, yeah, it's, it's coming now. It's the year of the West African flavors, according yes. to Whole Foods magazine. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Finally. I've been saying it forever. But um, so it was my customers because, you know, for my parents, even my parents, they, they, were, they still couldn't grasp what I was doing because even though the sauces are, um, they have spices from West Africa, they're not very traditional in, in West African cooking because I added my spin to it. So my parents were like, what is it? What right. are you making? Yeah. So imagine my, my own family needing to be convinced about my brand. And so when, uh, when they got on board was when everybody else got on board, kind of. Um, so, I mean, they supported everything, but they're just like, hmm, like, what are you doing? Why would you leave corporate for this? You're making sauce. You used to be doing X, Y, and Z, six figures, living your life. Now you're making sauce. For an African family, an African child, it's like no-go zone. Um, so, uh, and, my, and my dad told me, he's like, don't come asking me for money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Here we are. I'm asking him for money. So Well, I think uh, he said he wanted to give you the money because you're doing so fact. awesome. After yeah. the fact. So you didn't ask, yeah. babe. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, you know, for me, it was my customers and friends reassuring me that I needed to keep going because there was a time in those six months that I didn't see anything. And it was very dark days of losing your job and not having anything, not knowing what's going to happen and just believing that this is going to be it. And then, you know, something's a spark and then it goes from there. So, yeah. Thanks think, to all of the people yeah. that believed in me. Oh. <laughs> I think that there's also this like misconception, um, when it comes to entrepreneurship that it's really, there's Fun. like a romance about it, right? <laughs> it's like really sexy. And I read this one article once that, um, entrepreneurship is kind of like, you're riding a lion. I don't know if anyone else read this. <laughs> it's like, if you did. Anyway, so you're riding a lion and everyone around you is like, 
Oh my God, she's on a lion. That is so cool. Cool. And you're like, you're like, oh my gosh. How the hell did I get on this lion? And how do I get off? Yeah. And I I think about that a lot that like, that that we're on this lion and we have all this affirmation from everywhere saying that like, keep going, you got it, you got it. But I'm like, I'm often like, but you honestly have no idea. Yeah. It's yes. so hard. Ice cream can be so sad sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's it's a, there's a lot. It's a lot of uh, there's a lot of depression yeah. on the line. Oh yeah. Maria, do you have a voice in your head that is, um, or do you strike me as well? Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> when um, you said before, like, who do you think you are? Mm. Okay. Um, I said, if someone comes to me and tells me, who do you think you are? I'm telling him, wait and see. Mm. You know, and that's what we have done. But I have this self-confidence since I was seven years old when my father told me (laughs) like that I could be the chef in the house because I made my first and the best meatballs ever. Even Tony Bennett loves my meatballs. Believe me, guys. You, you know, he comes to the restaurant and he says, Maria, could I have those meatballs? Yeah. So, so no voice. I remember no <laughs> voice for that. And um, I'm teaching my team not to have voice in there to say that, you know, like, who do you think you are? We are the ones, (laughs) and we are going to change the world. That's it. One Greek healthy bite at a time, I said. One Greek, one Persian, one West African, one Indian, bite at a time. Um, I have this quick example. Um, So sometimes when we do demos in Whole Foods, I've had the gamut of reactions, right? I've had people that literally would jump. I've had people that would swear that it was amazing. And I've had people spit it out. Mm -hmm. So if you are not centered in your brand and knowing how good it is yourself and what it stands for, and just like Maria from seven years old, I've always had my sense of self. I mean, of course, you have to have that if you want to win at anything. Um, but yeah, you're going to have people that will give you the whole gamut, you know? So don't be too swayed by people that are, oh my God, this is the best thing. Don't be swayed by that. And don't be swayed by somebody who spits out your food either. Just be even keel and know that you have a great product and just keep going. Yeah. Cause I mean, I feel like even in the emails, like every day it's like, oh my gosh, someone, and then it's like, holy shit, something, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. And if you ride every, yeah. you're just, your, your cortisol is just going to go kaput, <laughs> yeah. you know? We're all just going to be riding on fumes. Um, I know we're not really, we're, this is on air, or it will be on air, so if there is a question in the audience, then I'm going to ask, if you ask it, then I will repeat it so that it doesn't sound weird when we record. But is there a question or two? from anyone, you are more than welcome to ask or you can ask us afterwards. I just wanted to open up in case. Yes. So the question is about a career change and giving up uh, the devil you know for the devil you don't know, essentially. Giving up something safe and secure, quote unquote, lucrative, um, to just again jumping off that cliff. And I... um, 
I think that might be a good one for Essie to take sure. since it sounds like you did that hardcore. <laughs> yeah. Hardcore. Um, so for me, I had a lot of savings. And again, I took out my 401k. Um, and so that lasted for a bit and helped me to at least not live on the streets. Um, my family also helps me tremendously um, with where I live now. And so I don't have to worry about that. So that's, that's huge Before, because there's going to be a curve. You're going to have to put a lot of money in the beginning for a whole bunch of things, especially because when you're starting out, nobody's buying bulk anything. Um, now I'm buying you know, 10,000 caps, 10,000 jars. But in the beginning, I was buying 200. And of course, at 10,000 versus 200, it's going to cost more. And you're doing small batches, costs more. You're hiring people per day, costs more. But now when you're you know, scaling up, things get a little bit um, better with pricing. But in the beginning, you're going to have to put a little bit more in. So that's when you live lean. Um, you can't be going out to dinner at <laughs> Mr. Chow's every weekend, you know, Popeye's, you know, just changing habits especially knowing that you're funding it in the beginning, you know, just changing that and slowly easing yourself into when you see sales, you know, come up a bit and then things can even off at that point. Yeah, Homa. I, um, somebody said something really interesting to me a couple years ago. Um, and it's like we have this notion of what is a safe and secure job, right? And you think it's like something in a corporate setting or something that has a 401k or health insurance, which is awesome. Yes, I know. Um, but like, is that job really that secure? And if you find something you're passionate about, it's probably even more secure because you're riding off of like the one person who's most invested in it. And it's almost like speaks to the fact how we almost don't believe in ourselves when we think that's the least secure and safest option. When like to me, that's the safest and most secure option. Like you have found your passion. You are the, you're the most invested person in it. So you're not gonna be making dumb decisions. Like, you know, sometimes we think that the safe and secure option is, you know, maybe stereotypically that the one that it is and it's not like I you know I would almost argue that it's 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 less secure anyone yeah else? I'd like to add to that yeah. I am um, you know I I have never been broker but I have never been happier uh more felt more strength felt stronger uh you know than I am now had less anxiety um but I I didn't quit my day job for two years. And, you know, people would, would you know, literally that's why it's a phrase, don't quit your day job. <laughs> um, and I did not quit my day job until there was no way that I could keep doing my day job, both like practically, spiritually, financially. Like there was no way I could continue doing my day job and really go all out with this business. And back to that like conversation we had a couple questions ago, uh, I had to prove to myself that it was profitable. So not only was I a bootstrap business from day one, um, so not only was I able to pay my rent and pay, you know, pay for my Popeyes and pay for um, whatever I needed to pay for with the business, but there was, you know, there was really no other choice. Like it was either the business or it was continuing. I was working as a nanny, and so I spiritually like was not. It, it, there just was no other choice for me, but I did it in a way that was practical, where I had proven that the, was, there was a market for the business and that the business could be profitable. Yeah, I mean, I would just add, you know, 
jump off the cliff, but do your research, right? If you're going to, I mean, I always use this example on the podcast, but if you're making the best chip in the world, but a bag of chips is going to be $50, there's going to be three people that are going to love that chip more than anything in the world, but you are not going to have a business. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a difference between a hobby and a business. And you can love something and not necessarily decide to make it your life's work. Um, so do some research about what the market is, what the demand is, who the competition is, what's really different. How hard would it be to actually produce this thing? You know, is the world ready for it? Um, we have time for one more question. And then obviously you guys can ask us all sorts of things because we're here. I feel like there was one on that side. Is the question about sourcing ingredients and how challenging it is? Very. Is that? Thank you. And we're done. No. Um, Maria, you want to take that? Well, as, as you know that I'm Greek, so for me it was very easy to source the ingredients because we have the best ingredients, you know, in Greece. We do. We do. We have the best honey. You know, like, that's why my black honey. Uh, you see, um, I'm going to give my black honey for you guys to try. No, I will. I will. Usually I don't, but uh, I will. Okay. So, yeah, they will, they will do some nice cookies now with my black honey. Because out there, you will, they will be excellent. So, sourcing ingredients, you know, like um, in, in the States as well, they have good milk, you know. Uh, we did our dips. And the only thing that we needed, it was a good feta cheese, you know. So we got it from Greece. Don't try any other feta that comes from here, just white cheese, okay? <laughs> so, yeah. So it was not difficult. And going to the previous question, change your life. I did it, and I'm happy. Change it. Do it. There you go. Um, ingredients. <laughs> Uh, just one quick thought. Um, not so hard when you're small batch. Not so hard when you have control and you and you only want to make things with you know ugly fruits and vegetables. Great for small batch. Practically impossible large scale. So again, it depends on like what you're making, how big you want it to be, uh, you know, kind of what the goals are. Um, there are, like, in our case, we use lemongrass in one of our sauces, and there will, there's no co-packer on the planet who will take fresh lemongrass. It's just one of those, like, pathogen-holding underground things, so you have to use, like, a frozen product. Um, that seems sort of like you're going against something that's kind of like intuitive when you want to make something really pure and beautiful, but actually from like a Department of Health and FDA standard, you would be making something potentially death-causing if you use the best ingredient. So things like that. Um, does anyone else have anything they want to close with? Any final words for the audience? Anything you want to get off your chest? Pooja, you look like you have something to get off your chat. No, you're good? Okay. Um, Matt, thank you for being the best engineer. Um, and I do cover a lot of this stuff on my podcast. It's called In the Sauce. It's on Heritage Radio Network. Again, beautiful for Heritage Radio Network to be here tonight. Thank you guys so much for being a part of this. Whole Foods, 
Thank you for even having this, for asking us all to be here, for caring, you know. Um, I didn't know what a corrugated pack was, and John Lawson taught me all of that. He came and saw our pouches, and he just tipped them over, and he was like, you're going to need a box on the refrigerator shelf for these. And I was like, what? Um, so they really do. They incubate you. Um, I, I don't find him difficult at all, Maria. He is wonderful, and I am so grateful for his support. On that note, um, thank you so much for being here tonight. Thanks, Cherry Bomb. And uh, it was amazing having all of you guys here. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.